Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Harry Manier of the band Regal Cheer. We talked about Michael McDonald's debut 1982 album, If That's What It Takes. We also talked about not having guilty pleasures and recontextualizing Michael McDonald from a meme into a full, actualized person. Harry's band Regal Cheer just released their own debut album, Cans, a few weeks ago when we talked. I've actually been out of town for a couple weeks, so the magic of podcasting keeps this train rolling. But anywho, they have copies on vinyl, which you can pick up directly from them, or of course, you can check it out wherever you stream music. Okay, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Pod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, leave five stars, and reviews always help. Okay, let's chat with Harry. Hey Harry, how's it going? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, well, today we are talking about Michael McDonald's debut album, If That's What It Takes, and that came out August 3rd, 1982 on Warner Brothers Records. And what I'll ask is, when was the first time you heard Michael McDonald or this album specifically? Um, I think the first time I ever heard of Michael McDonald was, I think it was in like a Family Guy sketch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just had a little bit where he was singing like backing vocals of them hanging out or something like that, and I'm uh-huh. like, "Who the fuck? Who the fuck is that guy?" Yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I got into uh, like Steely Dan and stuff in like my early twenties via my parents. Shout out to mum and dad. Um, and uh, he kind of does a lot of like backing vocals and stuff on a bunch of their tunes. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of stumbled across it in a bit of an odd way, but just fell in love with it because uh, I think yeah, it's the was it the the main the main single? I keep forgetting. Is sampled, um, yeah, by uh, by Warren G and Nate Dog. So I'd heard that a million times. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that tune regulate. Yeah, so as soon as I I whacked it on for the first time, I was like, oh, I know this. This yeah. is a great song. Yeah, um, yeah, and then it just like just hooked me in with the big vibes, man. So yeah, couldn't get yeah. enough. Yeah, I. I mean, I feel like I had, you know, kind of like I'd heard it on, like, either classic rock radio, like, you know, Doobie Brothers and whatnot. But I I think the first time I feel like I remember just being like, oh, that's Michael McDonald, was uh, because of the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. And Mm -hmm. they keep, basically the running joke is they just keep playing Michael McDonald in the store. And then, like, I think it's Paul oh, yeah. Rudd's character. He's like, if I have to hear Michael McDonald again, I'm going to Yamo burn this place to the ground. And cause the song yeah. Yamo, Yamo Be There. And so, like, I think, like, in my head, it's almost like those things where, like, I think about, like, like there's, like, a pop punk song that's, like, I hate Led Zeppelin. And then for, like, almost, like, the next 10 or so years of my life, I was like, oh, I'm a punk guy, and I also hate Led Zeppelin. So it was almost <laughs> yeah. like this thing where I was just like, it sort of reduced Michael McDonald to a joke. 
and culture. Yeah, because it, it was like a huge cultural movement. And I mean, that was a huge movie comedically. Mm. So it's like he became a meme, you know. Yeah, it was weird that like, like I said, like the first time I ever really remember hearing his name was in Family Guy as yeah. kind of as a punchline. Mm-hmm. And I've also kind of yeah, like in Forty Year Old Version stuff, he does get used quite a fair bit in pop culture as almost like a as a joke, which is a bit odd, and I don't really understand why. Um, but yeah, he's just he's dead good. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I actually I feel like it's unjust. Yeah, it really is because I think like even after that point, I remember like speaking to like a bandmate not that long ago, and he kind of mentioned like oh i just like hate his voice and i was like you know it's one of those things where i feel like because of this podcast i just try and like recontextualize things and kind of like accept things like where they were in that moment and Mm -hmm. so like try and like take it away from all the like context of all the things that sort of like you know meme signifiers and just like take it in for what it is And, and it's it's tough it's hard to like strip something of like even a modern context of like who this person is but when it even if i look at like him in recent years i feel like there has been a shift culturally again in how people appreciate michael mcdonald like i feel like yacht rock always has like a and we'll get into i I don't even know if this is technically that because i feel like this is a little bit more rich than a lot of those things that became what they called the McDonald sound. So a lot of the things I'm kind of thinking of are like post this album. Mm-hmm. And so they're almost like a, they're like, they're, it's like they're post Steely Dan, you know, 70s Steely Dan. They're like post Michael McDonald. So I guess you could say they're post Steely Dan, post Do- Doobie Brothers, post Michael McDonald, and then sort of a next copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah, and then so, it gets all a bit like murky and not really sure yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah nothing and, really stands out as much as it did kind of around that time. Yeah, because one of the things I was kind of looking at was like, there's like that song Steal Away by Robbie Dupree. And okay. it's it's like kind of in that vein, but I never really thought about it as like, oh, they did that because Michael McDonald did it. You know, it was like he yeah. was like the guy. <laughs> You know, so kind of just recontextualizing and what I meant to mention was a couple years ago, there was the, or 2017, so more than a couple years ago, but uh, there was that Thundercat song where he does backing vocals. And I feel like to a younger audience, that brought Michael McDonald back into like a, it's not a joke. It's like this song respects the hell yeah. out of him. Did that also have Kenny Loggins on it? It might have. I, I, I just remember... I remember the song just like it's like cuts to a thing and he just like goes the fuck off like vocally. And mm-hmm. there's like a either live uh there's like a live video I'm thinking of specifically and it's just like none of it is like there's no that's like a hard thing where we kind of get like we had irony and then we're like a post irony and now we're almost like a post irony uh, like post post irony. So yeah, it's but almost that just like becomes <laughs> kind of sincerity it does yeah and i'm fine with full circle yeah i feel like it's like i lived through the cycles of like the irony and it's like you're not really allowed to like anything and i know we haven't talked about this album at all yet but it was these are all the kind of things that kind of went through my brain um because another little tangent i feel like when we we you you gave you told me this was your pick 
And then I think there was like a little bit of a thing. It's like, oh, I, you know, I'd also I'm fine with doing like title fight and Joyce Manor. Yeah. But then yeah. I had I'll already you, like I'll give you quite a few options. So. Yeah, I listened to this and I was like, no. And Steely, I think it was it was really initially it was Michael McDonald and Steely Dan. And yeah, yeah, then like, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm familiar enough with Steely Dan, but I'm really just, just I'm kind of like obsessed that Michael McDonald was your pick. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't think I'll ever have another time on the pod where someone would pick Michael McDonald. And so I was like, <laughs> so I'm going to follow this through. And then when it was like Joyce Manor, you know, try to fight came up, I was like, nope, we're not, <laughs> we're doing Michael <laughs> McDonald. And it's like, but, but I think there is sort of a conversation kind of between those things of like this idea of like, for me, it's like when I was a kid, like my dad would play like you know, Arlo Guthrie, Neil Young, and stuff like that, Jim Croce, and they're kind of getting to a point where I started developing my own relationship with, like, my dad's music. Yeah. And then kind of being like, oh, I really like Neil Young. And I like the kind of more acoustic stuff. My my dad didn't really like, like, the band-oriented Neil Young stuff, like, you know, Crazy Horse era. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that point in which you're kind of like... I can't listen to any of that stuff my parents made me listen to. And then you sort of like create this identity that's like, you know, indie, punk, metal, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, maybe when I was like getting into like title fights and whatnot. But then you kind of like loop around again and you're yeah. like, no. For me, it's like, no, Michael McDonald is good. So I don't know all that to say. I don't know if that was your, like your progression through it, like kind of coming back to it. Well, I mean, it, it was – it he wasn't an artist that like my i ever heard my parents listening to or anything like that like it's the same with like steely dan like my parents were a big fan of them and you know all that kind of stuff but i never really remember listening to a lot of my parents music unless they kind of just had a cd on in the car that i was you know not really listening to because i was playing game boy or whatever um i was way more interested in kind of like finding the stuff that interested me as opposed to like absorbing their influence uh, not until like you know sort of my early 20s when I'd moved away and I was kind of thrust into uh, a kind of pool of new people with loads of new interests and loads of things that I'd never heard of and just loved a bunch of stuff because kind of when I was growing up it was all based on like the music channels we had basically like yeah yeah like your MTVs and stuff with playing on the music videos I just flip over to the the kind of the rock ones and the stuff you know the the metal ones and things when you know, Futurama was on the advert break or whatever. And then just listen to stuff like Foo Fighters and the darkness and, you know, that kind of shit. So I was way down that route of like rock and metal and, and whatever. Um, and then when I moved away to uni, I kind of got introduced to things like Joyce Manor and title fight and citizen and story Sapphire and stuff like that. And I just loved all of that when I first got introduced to it. Cause it was like, it's kind of like the stuff that I listened to on the music channels, but it's, not something that they would ever play so it kind of makes it more interesting mm-hmm. and then um they my parents invited me to go to watch a steely dan covers band with them and i was like oh i heard of them you know i think they had a song on guitar hero or something so i was like <laughs> i think i've heard of them yeah. not really sure but i'll i'll, I'll give them a listen because mm-hmm. i was like oh i may as well go you know the 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 gig was in the town that i'd moved to in, into brighton um so i just started listening to it and just loved it and just did a full head like head first deep dive into everything and then uh yeah and then when we went i probably did my homework so i knew all the songs and the set list and stuff 
I was the youngest person in the room by like thirty odd years though. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of like parent like couples older than my parents really heavy petting in front of us and I was just standing in between my mum and dad watching this covers band that were actually really good, but like yeah, that was funny. But um yeah, and then like kind of from that I just kind of kept going down the steely down rabbit hole of just listening to that on a loop. And then I think it was watching there's a really good documentary of like the making of um, Asia, the Silly Dan record, mm-hmm. and Michael McDonald's in that because um, yeah. they showed that he recorded, like he, he did loads of backing vocals on, I think it was Peg or one of the songs, but he recorded like all the notes separately and they basically made like a chord out of his voice <laughs> and uh, he was just talking about how difficult that was to do and stuff and I was like, oh yeah, he's pretty yeah. good at singing. I, I like that song. Um, but yeah, it was kind of just it's the interest in that this kind of uh era of music has all kind of come from researching sort of like finding stuff out uh, you know finding a new band like finding steely dan which isn't a new band obviously but it was new to me and then being like oh this is you know that guy's really good on this song so who's that guy and then you know oh that drummer's really good who what else does he play for and kind of just like it all just comes off in tangents in that way so just got really into like Toto and stuff recently. Yeah, well, not yeah. Re- yeah, because yeah. of that, because it's like, oh, this, you know, the drummer on, on this record's really good. Who's that? It's, oh, it's Jeff Bacaro, and it's like, okay, well, I'll listen to what he's done, and I'm like, oh shit, this is all really good. And I think that's how I found this Michael McDonald album. Was I was watching something and someone was saying how good he was at like Jeff Bacaro was at drums, and then I just searched like because uh, they said he was a session musician, so I just searched sort of what songs he was in and there was a playlist of like Jeff Beccaro features or whatever and Michael McDonald was the top top three songs was the mm-hmm. three songs that he plays on this record and so I listened to those three and I'm like oh these are all hits I'm gonna have to listen to this um but yeah like I, I, I this isn't one of those kind of records that's an easy recommend do you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's not like I can just bump into someone at the pub and be like oh mate do you want to listen to fucking Michael McDonald? They're yeah. probably gonna laugh at me. I mean, much the same as where you thought it was an unusual pick for me to say. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really care about that stuff. If I like yeah. it, you know, it resonated with me, and I, you know, it's just, I think it's great. But yeah, I, I like those kind of moments on the pod where I feel like, and I guess I'm talking about the, the podcast in a meta sense for a lot of this. So this will be fun for <laughs> listeners. Uh, but. There's kind of things where you just feel like someone's honest to answer. You know, like, it's not that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Joyce Maynard or Tide of Fight might as well, might might have been just as much of an honest answer, where it's just almost like sometimes someone <laughs> slips up. And then, you know, it's like, I'm not saying you did this, but some people, I feel like then they'll try and, like, bring it back to, like, what they think they're supposed to mention. Yeah, and I, yeah. I do this all the time. So it's not like them, you know. So I'm like, nah, but there's, like, sometimes where I feel like just someone kind of, like, it's just you get like a peek to like the real person, you know, just mm-hmm. beneath it. Cause, and also those senses where it's like, you know, it's like, I can, I could talk title fight, you know, like we were there, you know, we, you know, Joyce Manor, like we've all, so it's like, there's something interesting about that thing. And the kind of going down the, the rabbit hole with it. I feel like I've kind of done that recently with like, and not to like a large degree, but just kind of like the last year I was like, wait, weather report is good. <laughs> and this like oh fuck i fucked up like it's just like those things where it's even like there was like a i was just showing old music videos and then they were playing some santana song 
And it wasn't even like a, because I feel like people will go back to like a Braxis or something with like Santana, but there was something like that in the eighties and they had like this, like, I think he was actually an Irish singer. Um, that was like their lead singer for like a, a little run. And I was just like, what is this era? You know? And then it's mm-hmm. like kind of, I feel like it's like, then I think about like, yes. And it's like, there's, there's certain albums like people would pick with yes. And it's like, you know, it's like closer to the edge and stuff, but I'm like, mm-hmm. no, nah, but like what was going on with like nine Oh one, two five or like, like, and then I had a friend that was telling me about like union, you know? And then it's like union is essentially, it's called that because it's like, two versions of yes coming onto like one record (laughs) you know and then it's just like what are these eras because these aren't usually you know like 90125 i think it was one that was more like a accepted kind of like big rock kind of era sort of like Mm -hmm. in in a sense like what toto became you know and all that stuff like it's like yeah but these are like session dudes going back to like michael mcdonald and like you know like jeff skunk baxter like these are like sex session dudes that just like rip and I don't even really have a bigger point than that. It's just like kind of realizing like the con this weird context of time is sort of softened how kind of awesome these guys are, you know, because all we're looking at them is just like an age, like an older age of what they were when they were actually being like revolutionary and like music. Yeah. Cause I mean, m- maybe at the time for like bands like that, it's like if, if it was comprised of mostly sort of session musicians, they're used to kind of being, either just on the liner notes and they aren't like the face of the the bands or the you know the artists that they're you know performing with so if you get them all together they can make some absolute rippers because if you put a bunch of people who can fucking play music together they're going to write something good but because at the time i guess pre-internet you didn't have the ability to market yourself unless you were marketable so you would just get lost in the ether you weren't you know like all the session musicians for all the Steely Dan stuff, you'd be like, well, I was just looking at the, you know, the, the personnel list and I was like, I've never heard of half of these people, but I have heard of some of them, but I didn't realize that they were on it or, you know, whatever. And so it's like, yeah, having the access to the encyclopedia of the internet to be able to be like, oh, who played drums on this specific song? It was a different guy to this one. Mm -hmm. I can see what else he's been doing or what they've been up to and whatever. And you can stumble across a bunch of yeah, good it, stuff. And, you know. When I, when I was looking at those uh, credits, even for this album, I was like, oh, this is like such a rabbit hole, like of like who, this guy, because it's like, oh, because then it's like the drums and it'll be like, oh, this guy played on this track, but this guy played on this track. And it's yeah. like so meticulous, you know, like in that way. Did you're kind of going from Steely Dan, of course, uh, you know, it led you to michael mcdonald's debut album but did did you end up like digging into like doobie brothers as well i i think i got i tried to do doobie brothers after i'd already rinsed this michael mcdonald record Mm -hmm. and i think like i don't know this was just one that i i gravitated towards pretty immediately and uh was kind of like oh well the first four songs are hits and then there's a ballad that's kind of mixed far too fucking loud because there's no instruments on it did you notice that when you listened to it uh, the, was that the, uh, which the, one? I, I think it's the fifth song is okay. so much louder than everything else on the record. I don't think <laughs> I it's picked just up him on and the that, piano. But, but yeah, it is such a, like a yeah. It's I mean I I think like what's interesting when I think about I've been actually thinking about the ideas of ballads lately because I always like tend to write something that kind of like 
skirts around it because it feels like yeah. every record I loved growing up had some version of a ballad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so like I'm like when I when I always think about like putting an album together, it's like it seems normal. Like it's like Cheap Trick had like the flame. <laughs> like you know, all these things are even on like punk records, it's like there's one kind of like bring it down kind of thing, you yeah. know. And it's the breather kind of, of yeah. the record. And so they're kind of fun on records, even if they're mixed too loud, where they kind of like <laughs> break it up. I think what always ends up happening, though, because I think there's like a couple on here that there's I There's a couple I feel like slow it, ones, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like it feels like it does it a little too much. But I'm, I'm not really complaining about like anything on this record because it's 39 minutes. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a breeze to listen to. So it all goes down pretty easy. Uh, so So, yeah, but... Yeah, I think I'm actually like I'm I'm almost always on board with like the cheesiest ballads. So so yeah. I'm not really the right person to ask like if a ballad comes on like I don't know if I want to listen to a playlist of ballads. I mean, I have mm-hmm. a lot. But like <laughs> but like you know, when it when it hits at the right place, I'm like mm-hmm. all in, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, when the mood strikes, definitely, you know. Wax and Phil Collins on, he's got enough. Yeah. But, yeah. Like uh Yeah, I don't know, it's it's uh it's a funny because I mean I I just in sort of day to day stuff I don't tend to listen to a lot of sh- a lot of like records that have ballads in them, mm-hmm. you know. It's it does feel like it's a con- a kind of like trope of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of era of just like oh we've got to have one really like really epic piano ballads just to get the people on on board or whatever. But I mean the ones on this I don't really I don't skip them you know I don't yeah. hate them. And like you said, because the album's only forty minutes long, it's just, it's yeah. not like it's like, oh, there's three ballads on here, and the album's like an hour and a half, and you're like, oh, why have they done that? It's still, you know, pretty to the point. And all the other songs surrounding the ballads are all upbeat, funky hits that are just like, I I've forgotten that there was a ballad a second ago because I know I'm involved in this, you know, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I think what's always interesting about it because like this is all right, so. We'll get, uh, we'll get a little into kind of the genre speak. I know that like Northern Soul, the term is like a completely different thing outside of this. And I always get kind of confused about it. I've actually have spoken to um, a guy that kind of broke it down, but I've since forgotten it. So mm-hmm. like, are you familiar with the term Northern Soul? I've heard the term. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm not the person to talk to you about genres, unfortunately. So it kind of like the way that it kind of like is used now. Like that, you'll see a lot of things where people will do like DJ nights, and so a lot mm-hmm. of times I think like a lot of it got popularized with like with like UK DJs playing like soul records. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, and then there's like diff- different kind of versions of it. It's almost like a genre into itself, but it's it's almost like a dj genre and if anyone's listening i'm i'm kind of butchering it but but (laughs) then where i get confused is like there's the idea of like northern soul and then there's like blue-eyed soul and Mm -hmm. like the term blue-eyed soul i think like even thinking about that recently it's a very strange like radio genre like in in the way that they named it because it's like what is it saying? You know, like to mm-hmm. be to call something blue-eyed soul feels like you're trying to. And I swear, I'm getting to a point. Uh, it feels like people are trying to go. We know that you like soul or Motown stuff, but like it has people of color. 
So it's safe mm-hmm. if you come over here and you listen to blank. But what I think is, what I think what ends up being bad and where this stuff ends up being like a, it's like if that were truly the reason Michael McDonald did it, then that's fucked up. But like, I really think that people like Michael McDonald and like Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan, they had like an actual like relationship and they were students of like soul and Motown, like people that grew up on it. And so it's like it's not their fault that radios, radio stations and labels kind of built this genre around them. And I think it's like yeah. a helpful thing to remember because it almost like makes – because it's like to my initial point, it makes people like Michael McDonald into the joke, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like – I really think that people, it's like when Rolling Stones were like, when they would tour early on, they would bring out like old blues musicians. Mm -hmm. And I think that their purpose, whether it's complicated now in a, you know, in a modern context was to like bring that music to people that wouldn't listen to it. (laughs) You know, or maybe even just sharing their influences. Because I think a lot of this stuff does stem from, you know, like with, yeah, you see the dance and whatever. They were obviously immersed in a certain culture, or they were just interested in jazz and Motown and soul and stuff more so than your sort of your rocks and your pops or whatever was on, you know, the kind of mainstream whatever. Yeah. So I, that's the first time I've ever heard. What did you call it? Blue-eyed soul. Yeah, and I don't know how much. As soon like, as you said it, I was like, travels, but yeah, yeah. As soon as you said it, I was like, that sounds like they're trying to say soul music made by white people. Oh, yeah, that is, you know, and it's like, you know, because I I had a friend that was like, he said he was like in his car, just like listening to like the radio. And then they were like, full weekend, a blue eyed soul. And then he said it hit him in a way that because it's like a term like we kind of heard. It's like people use it for Van Morrison, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it's like Van Morrison's a complicated guy to like pin that on because he's like such a not great figure now. Um Mm -hmm. If you've heard his like uh, his Facebook song from like a year ago, I would check it out if you haven't. But he did he did the he wrote this song he had, he released this song called uh, "Why Are You on Facebook?" Um, okay. So I'd go check that out. Anyone listening? It sounds like a pretty boomer thing to do. It's very it's the most boomer thing. It's like him and Eric Clapton <laughs> are on the same trip, you know? Oh, um, yeah, just that that trip. But also like you know. With thinking about Michael McDonald, I mean, I haven't, like, we can think about your Van Morrisons or your Eric Clapton's, but, like, that guy, he feels like he's made himself, like, he's been able to reinvent himself and, like, make himself relevant again and just kind of, like, let those things roll off him. I don't ever hear any critique of Michael McDonald that isn't just I don't like his voice, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's such yeah. an interesting thing. Maybe there's some skeletons in the closet that I don't know about, but like it's like <laughs> it's not an Eric Clapton where it feels like they can't adjust to like the new times. You know, it's like yeah. with him being on like Thundercat songs, and there's actually so many I'm just like forgetting. Like mm-hmm. the dude will guest on your song if you pay him <laughs> the money for yeah. it. Yeah, and do an amazing job. Well, know? even with the um, with the Warren G sample, he obviously had to okay that. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course, this is something different and it's going to get people interested in my stuff. And it's similar, you know, and I guess with the with like Thundercat featuring him, 
it's kind of similar to what you said about the Rolling Stones bringing on, you know, blues artists to be the support bands. It's like this is our, this is one of our influences, and we want you to see it. And I guess Michael McDonald and you know maybe his music was maybe a influence of Thundercats, and so it was yeah. like, well, this guy's been making bangers for ages, so I want you to you know reintroduce to a new audience in the same kind of way. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you think so? Okay. So with getting into this record, uh, have you been able to like turn any of your like friends, loved ones, like onto Michael McDonald? So it, the the main times I, I I listen to this is when I'm like just doing kind of chores essentially. It's like my what like doing the dishes music. Yeah. So I'll just slam it on because it's just it, it it's upbeat. It's good vibes. I get into it. Um, and I can just mumble along the words while I'm doing the dishes or something. So the only time I've ever really like shown it to other people is when it's like I've been doing the dishes and I've whacked it on and like my girlfriend's come in the room and been like, what are you listening to? <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I hate the term like guilty pleasure. Uh-huh. I don't think that's a real thing. It's just something that you're ashamed to show your friends, but it's just because you like it so much and you're afraid that they're not going to like it. But you shouldn't really be worried about that. And I, I'm i not, do you know what I mean? I have shown my mates this and or just like put on one of the tunes at like a house party and everyone's like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, fucking, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, no, I've never been ever, I've never like shown anybody it and uh, been met with any sort of like immediate resistance of like, oh, turn this off. This guy sounds awful or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, I don't understand feels, how you can't like it. <laughs> yeah, it feels like one of those things, like, if you approach it blind, then I feel like you're going to enjoy it. But then if you're if you're kind of, like, given the context, it's like in the same sense of you telling me, I was like, oh, Michael McDonald. You know, but, like, it's almost like if you, if you put it on and I didn't know, I mean, his voice is, like, really recognizable, so it's a little mm-hmm. hard. But, like, with the vibes and everything else, like, I'm prone to listen to, like, it's, you know, it's right there. Like, a, a funny yeah. thing I was thinking of, because, like, I've been, like, weirdly obsessed with, like, finding these, like, kind of piece, like, movies that are, like, let's say, I mean, they're definitely in the 80s, but it's almost like a thing where you're, like, everyone forgot about this movie. Like, there was one specifically with, like, Ted Danson, and he was, like, married to a lady, and then later on in the movie, like, his character dies, but it's, like, it's like a comedy, but like the the soundtrack for it would have been something like this, you mm-hmm. know. It's like the context feels like it's like, oh, he's a divorced dad. He's trying to get back out there. He has his kids on the weekend in a small apartment. So on the montage scene, they're gonna play or like the intro of the movie, they're gonna play playing by the rules, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, it's like kind of back to the beginning thing. I think that's sort of like, <laughs> it's like it's not Michael McDonald's fault that that became the shorthand for the era. I mean, and yeah. he was he was fine with it cuz he took it all to the bank, but like it's like that doesn't mean it's it's just simply it's like that doesn't mean it's not good, you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like what I was thinking. It just kind of made me think of like if I'm listening to it, I'm like cleaning my apartment so like my my kid could come over, you know, <laughs> you know, cuz I have him on the weekends kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind of vibe with it. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine and they're like really steeped in like steely dan stuff and they were talking about i guess like with a lot of the like synth tones that they got on this record they were they were kind of like workshopping things and like trying to figure out different tones but they ended up just like going with like 
presets on like all of these like new scents. So mm -hmm. like all the sounds they have are like not even them like digging into them more to kind of like come up with like cooler sounds. They're just like right out of the box sounds. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's kind of cool because it's like, I think what's interesting is a lot of with like Steely Dan, it feels like they got super obsessed with like playing everything right. And it's like, yeah, those guys were like, pretty like, yeah. And, and it's, and it's here too. It's like the, mm -hmm. everything's perfected, but that idea of just being like, it's like the only kind of rejection of his like previous life with, you know, kind of being like the keyboards and like backup singer. I believe that's what he was doing in Steely Dan for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, was to kind of just go this works you know? yeah like this works and if it's we'll not kinda, broke yeah don't fix it exactly. you know what i mean yeah but i guess like maybe at the time if if he is just using sort of like presets and stuff like that like straight out of the box sounds it might have been like perceived as sort of potentially generic sounding mm -hmm. because it was easy to replicate that sound it wasn't sort of something that they spent ages kind of dialing in and, and being like, oh, this is going to be a really specific sound that's just going to be for this record and nothing else. Do you know what I mean? But I think it sounds like a lot of stuff around that era. Do you know what I mean? It, it sounds yeah. like Steely Down. It sounds like sort of Boz Skaggs and, and that type of stuff. It's, you know, everything that came out around that time, it all had that kind of, it all had a, a, a seasoning of a certain flavour and you can tell that it's from that era and it's quite hard to replicate that now. But Again, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, yeah, it sounds yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been, because maybe it's just like with playing like, we'll say roughly like punk or kind of louder indie music, just like this idea of like playing enough or making it sound like it's just like like everything is in the right place because it's like with like you know louder music, it's you know just that kind of vibe of just like letting something kind of ring out letting mm -hmm. it yeah you know, bringing the volume down a little bit and letting the dynamics like really work is like something i've been obsessed with it's like these are all like the best players in the industry but sometimes it's like the bass player will just like hold something out you know and mm -hmm. it's it, it's like i don't and it's interesting because like when i think about like i don't know your santanas and things like that there was still like a point really a lot of the backing Santana people became journey, but it's even with like those people, they were like, we can do all of that stuff, mm -hmm. but like, we don't have to all the time. And yeah. that kind of thing where it's like, then I feel like whenever the, it's like, even when Michael McDonald, like kind of lets it rip, like either be on keyboard or go for like these crazy vocal melodies, you're it makes it sound bigger. I mean, it's like that thing of like, you know, with like heavy music, if you're playing like heavy all the time, you kind of almost forget how heavy it is. So if mm -hmm. you're able to like bring it down, you know, then it sounds also much bigger. So those little flourishes where you hear people like dip into like just every studio musician bag thing, like the, you know, uh, really makes every, like really makes you appreciate kind of those times that everyone's like, playing so much I, I don't know how to express it that that way without like a lot of like musical knowledge language i guess <laughs> is what i'm saying but it, it just kind of makes it when you do that it makes it feel so much bigger in those moments mm -hmm. yeah yeah like it's obviously all thought about and stuff and and they've got you know some of the best of the best to 
do the instrumentation and whatever. But yeah, I think it's for me, it's kind of like things that make these kind of records great. Uh, sort of yeah, the little the weird little ad libby bits or the fit, bits that feel ad libbed, you know. Yeah. But we're obviously he's he's obviously sang baby about a hundred times on a bunch of these ones and they've just been like oh that baby doesn't work there we'll just take that one out whatever but it feels natural do you know what i mean yeah and like the way that it feels is a big component especially i mean for this record very specifically i think you know the 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 feel and the vibe of the whole thing is 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 the thing that kind of drew me to it and and keeps drawing me back in it's just that yeah it's just it's just uplifting even though if you listen to the lyrics the only thing I can think of is who hurt you, Michael? You're obviously yeah. heartbroken all the time. I don't know if it's the same lady or if it's multiple, they're different ladies, who knows? But he's very upset about what he's singing about. But the songs are just like bangers. <laughs> so yeah. I like, I love that kind of juxtaposition between like something that's so funky and like I can dance and do my dishes to this. But also the lyrical content is like, yeah, my wife just left me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I felt in time listening to it when I was doing dishes, I know I made the, you know, the kind of joke about the Ted Dance movie where he's divorced, but it really was like almost transported me to a reality where like I live alone in a furnished apartment, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's like, even if you just like look at the song titles, uh, you know, it's like playing by the rules. (laughs) I keep forgetting love lies. I got to try. I can let go now. There's like this weird thing where it's like, it's like almost a concept record. And the story, that's why I kept thinking about a movie because it's like, it's like almost like with playing by the rules, it's like a guy that's like kind of at the beginning of the end of his relationship. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of, you're at this point where you're like, you're almost like mad at the other person, you know? And then like, even if they are like fictional, it's like, he's done everything by the book. He's done everything he thinks he needs to do, but it just isn't enough. And it's like, haven't we all, Michael? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it becomes oddly relatable in a way, even if, like, you don't really know what he's singing about. Like, a lot yeah. of them, I feel like, they they are oddly relatable in that way. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, everyone's been broken up with or, you know, has to have, you know, been through a breakup or a loss or whatever. And it's all kind of, like, steeped in this kind of, yeah. Yeah. You I, can kind of take what you want out of it. but Yeah, and then I feel like when you get to, like, I keep forgetting. It's it's you know just like kind of condensing. I know the the album's like more complex than this, but it's like it's almost like a song. It feels like a vibe of like I for I can't remember the last time I cried about my last relationship. It's kind of like yeah. what that starts feeling like, and then it's like almost gets angry again, and then the anger is replaced by you know things like oh I got to put myself back out there, and then mm-hmm. kind of like by the end of the album. There's like there's like that thing in a movie where someone did put themselves out there. There's also a kind of like a step back and then kind of like an ending. It's just it's so like a movie. Like it's yeah. interesting that it's like it's almost it feels like, like it's could, got a plot line. Yeah, it really does cuz it's you know it's like it's like start over. Not really that chill about it, but I'm figuring it out. I find something new. Maybe the something new isn't exactly what I thought it was, but hey, everything's not perfect. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to no such luck and then like believe in it. So I'm going to just, I'm going to try again because I don't know what else to do. And so Mm -hmm. it ends on like one of those like happy notes, but that isn't really happy. It's just like, I'm trying again. I'm like, I'm on the proverbial bike once again. 
Yeah. It's it's perseverance. <laughs> yeah, not the hate breed perseverance, but but this one. Um yeah, I, and so do you think that do you feel like with comparing this to like Doobie Brothers cuz uh I feel like when I listen to Doobie Brothers that is hard to kind of remove it from a context. And I've had mm-hmm. some of that same Steely Dan mega fan that I was mentioning. Uh they were like you got to kind of do Doobie Brothers like pre Michael McDonald like the Tom Johnston kind of stuff cuz then that's actually like it's less of what when it gets into like the big huge radio hits like taking it to the mm-hmm. streets like it's like that's hard to divorce from the concept or the, you know, the kind of like the zeitgeist. But I guess with you, with this Michael McDonald record, you were able to like forge your own kind of relationship with it that didn't seem to be steeped in like too much context. Yeah, no, I mean, the only context I really had of this at all, like I said, was the Warren G song, which I really yeah. like. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing my Nate Dog shirt. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so with that Bruce Hornsby song the way it is and like being sampled by, you know, I believe Tupac, um, you kind of like, you're like, wait, I, I know this song. But then when you get into it, like these people, because Bruce Hornsby had kind of like a similar kind of trajectory in a way that like he was like, you know, because like Michael McDonald, I believe he was like trying to make it happen and essentially like was supposed to put out a record with a major label and they just like shelved it. So then he mm-hmm. just kind of made himself into like a session guy and then kind of like just grew himself from there. And then what's interesting is then that kind of chance moment in his life where they were like, hey, uh, because you did stuff with like Steely Dan, because he was like more of a background guy. They were like, hey, you should you should sing, <laughs> you know, you should sing and Doobie Brothers. And then that's, you know, the story as it, it kind of grows, like mm-hmm. these people that are kind of like given these opportunities but they almost like claw their way back up. It's like it's like they think they think that moment where like I would assume anyone would think that that moment where a major label's like, hey, we'll put out your solo record, and then it just they're like, we're not putting it out. You're mm-hmm. just like, you know, broken. Yeah, the but most then defeated. It's, yeah, then yeah. it's like I'm gonna kind of like work my way back up. Like that's I mean, once again, perseverance of that. But like people <laughs> like like Bruce Hornsby. It's like he kind of made his way, like, get guesting with, like, Grateful Dead and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it feels like he kind of used that to kind of claw himself back up. And, to, mm-hmm. like, these these piano guys, you, know, you got to, you know, you got to watch it with them. Um, <laughs> what's I guess funny, it maybe it's a case of, like, just keeping yourself still sort of, it's it's keeping up your chops, isn't it? Like, as, as long as you're using the muscles, then maybe at some point in the future someone will be interested again and maybe they'll want to put out my solo record. You know what I mean? So it's like that idea of, yeah, just keep on doing what you're doing. And then eventually yeah. something will come out of it, I suppose. Yeah, that's what, that's what and then hopefully tells. a rapper will sample your song and then some yeah. kids in the nineties will be like, Oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is, it is so interesting because I feel like someone like Bruce Hornsby, someone like uh, Michael McDonald, those like piano guys, like they feel like if, this success hadn't happened to him somehow somewhere he'd still be a musician even if it was like he's in playing in like a random bar somewhere like mm-hmm. music is this guy's life you know I, I don't i don't know anything else about him but it's like it feels like even like a billy joel which you know like just like there might have been some version of billy joel and a very much angrier version of him um that kind of like 
might still be playing in Long Island, New York. You know, like yeah, yeah. like that's how these people kind of feel. Like they're, it's like almost success happens to them. And I don't get a sense that Michael McDonald did anything to like sell out, whatever that term really means anymore. It's just yeah. like this is who this guy is. And I say that because there's like a quote that he had. I mean, just like paraphrasing, where he said. <laughs> just kind of like to listen to this music and think this guy like doesn't think highly of himself. Cause he said that, uh, like he said, he, he was like, I wish I could write like Randy Newman. And I know people, cause it was a New York times piece. And he was like, I know people were going to like shit on my lyrics. And mm-hmm. he's like, he was like, I wish I could write the witty things that Randy Newman did, but I can't, I can't help but write what I write. And his quote was all my songs are about the necessity of trust. And it's just like kind of knowing your lane, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. I can't, I can't be a Randy Newman and I wish I could be, but I'm going to be the best Michael McDonald I can be. Yeah. For it's sure. like what that feels about it. So it's like, so interesting, you know, I think this, this record like made me feel so like philosophical about like the weirdest things. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you, caught you off guard. Yeah. So I guess what I'm thinking of, if you had specific notes about like specific songs, and I know we've kind of moved around it, uh, you know, just, yeah, let me know what you've discovered, like listening to this album. Well, I think like, yeah, like I said, I got into it sort of via other artists, via like Steely Dan and like discovering Jeff Beccaro. Um, and uh, I was listening to it. I, I was listening to it a lot today and uh, there's just a few things in in um, in I keep forgetting that like in in terms of like drumming wise, it's just stuff that gets me to come back every single time. And it's like there's just a little thing that he, that he plays at the very end of the song where he just does this little little double kick, and it feels so like it feels perfect for the song, but also borderline unnecessary. Like he didn't need to show off right at the very end, and it's yeah. always like it's like as it's fading out, just chucks in some like tricky single pedal like double kick stuff and you're like oh that's so nice but why didn't you do that for the rest of the song but it's kind of like it would have ruined it otherwise but like yeah it's just that kind of that kind of stuff that like i'll pick out through multiple listens so like every time i run through this i'm sort of paying attention to to the, i mean i'll pay attention to the drums more than anything anyway but um yeah it's just the, the, those kind of little 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 bits of uh little salt bay little bits that um i think that like make these kind of like records of this kind of time like so listenable um because it's you know the same way with like steely dan because they just they're they're so meticulous with everything that goes on and everything that's that's all the layers and everything that's happening sort of like every time you listen to it it's like a little a, a little piece of something that you didn't notice before is jumping out this time that won't next time and it didn't the time before um and I find that this has kind of got quite a lot of those little nuances and stuff like that, which I find uh, yeah really attractive in the record. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just big vibes. Like yeah, it's, I, I find it hard to find records that like grab you immediately and like I don't know have the same kind of feel consistently as well. It's not just like oh here's one single that's like a funk song, mm. borderline. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just a, a funky number. And then the rest of it's kind of ballads or whatever. Because I know that like 
I don't know, Phil Collins was pretty bad for that. I've tried to listen to a few of his records, and I like him, but it will be sort of, you know, the intermittent big single surrounded by kind of more softer, fillery, what, fluff in my opinion. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this doesn't really have that, which is, yeah, one of the reasons that it kind of stays in my rotation quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, thinking about Jeff Beccaro, though, I guess, like, so, all right, so he died, like, pretty early on when he was 38 in 1992 yeah uh and so all music says about jeff Beccaro, arguably the most highly regarded studio drummer in rock from the mid-70s to early 90s and then says it is no exaggeration to say that the sound of mainstream pop slash rock drumming drumming in the 1980s was to a large extent the sound of jeff Beccaro. uh so I feel like that's like interesting to think about approaching this record. Like since you're a drummer, is that kind of like one of the things that hooked you early on with this record? Because I guess it's like I didn't even think of this album as like a drum, something a drummer would be into. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like the drums were what brought me in in the first place. That's so interesting because I think like that's like that's like. I don't know. It's like it's to a credit of the, these drummers, obviously, that it's like they're doing a lot, but I don't feel like while listening to it, they're doing a lot. Yeah. Know? Well, I think like he was he was one of the ones where I think there's like a little snippet of an interview I've seen with him where he's like, I just like playing the beat. Like, I don't want to do solos. I don't want to do anything like fancy. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I just like keeping the beat. And so when you listen to him playing on stuff like this or, you know, uh, any of like the, uh, the Toto stuff, obviously before he died, um, it is very much like he's, he's got, a, he's got a groove, he's got a beat and he's sticking to it. But every now and then will just be like the slightest change, but that slight change will feel like something massive because he's kept it the same, the entire song. And so those little, those little, little bits of flavor, they really, really stick out. Um, and yeah, like I said on on there, oh no, I keep forgetting. It's just the, those little double kicks at the end. It's something you probably wouldn't notice unless. Oh, yeah, I don't think I really picked up on it. I mean, I'm yeah, not like, but uh, yeah, drum minded. If you listen way. to it, if you listen to it again, it's just like it just gets a little bit like boom, like it's just so nice, and it just but it fits perfectly, and it's just a little bit of like not exactly. I wouldn't say it's showboating at all because it's not like anything flashy, but it's just like something that sounds really nice isn't like ruinous to the song it's not like he's trying to do some crazy feel or anything like that but it is like actually quite difficult to do um but yeah i just find that stuff really fascinating so like he was another one that just like was the the start of a really big deep dive big rabbit hole of like yeah just listening to all the old toto stuff just to see kind of like how he approaches songwriting in that way of just like just find something a groove that works and just keep with it and then every now and then just do a little bit of spice but as long as it doesn't take away from the song and it's like yeah. gotta respect that because it's really easy to overplay and I'm a, I'm I don't regard myself as a good drummer at all mm-hmm. and I I can't play fills so it's like <laughs> gravitating towards someone who's like I just play the beat and I'm like oh, I'd like to do that too because I can't do fills. <laughs> yeah yeah well i think what's interesting now you're making me think i'm like do i need to go back and reevaluate like toto <laughs> because i'm like 
I'm like shit because all yes. I can think with yes, Toto, all I can think with Toto is like I've been like obsessed with. There's like these, uh, I don't know, just on YouTube. There's like videos of the singer like now, like yeah. and I can find them and I'll send them to you. Uh, but but it's like kind of back to what I was saying. Like it's like it's so dishonest even when I do that because it, it's basically okay. So in Toto, there were there were like three singers. So in Africa. The kind of guy that almost got like the credit of being like the lead singer for a period of time, mm-hmm. like he was not even kind of singing the main part in Toto. Like he didn't sing any of the verse. But then when the chorus comes in, it's that guy. And yeah. so he's like the guy. He has like a now he has like a black hair and like a mustache. Like like mm-hmm. he's like he kind of looked like that back then. I, I'm just blanking on his name. Uh, since this is a, Toto wasn't the one we did. I didn't do the research on that, <laughs> but like, uh, so on Africa on this video, cause he's like, it's just like backing dudes and him singing it at like mm-hmm. a fair or something. He's doing the verse and then he has to go up to the chorus and the guy's like in his seventies, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, he can't do it, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it is, I watch it all the time. <laughs> Like, it is amazing. <laughs> but it's also, like, dishonest. It's like, I mean, if someone took me at my worst, like, I remember this thing where people were doing this thing where they were like, this is Courtney Love singing and playing guitar straight off the board. Oh, and it's yeah. like, I think I've motherfucker, if I, if anyone did that with any of us, you know. You'd sound like shit. You'd sound you'd like sound shit like because shit. you're like, hey, put a little reverb on my voice and, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's going to be mixed, you know. Because that's the yeah, thing. Yeah. It's fucking mixed. You know, like, all of us aren't, like, whatever. I mean, all of us aren't Michael McDonald. But it's, like, <laughs> you know, it's, like, so it's it's interesting. It's, like, we're seeing this, like, person at their worst. And so they mm. it, it's, like, kind of leads to them, I think, like, we're, like, Michael McDonald, like, you know, the Yamo B there thing or the Family Guy mm-hmm. thing. And it's, like, this isn't, like, this isn't really the contextualization of these artists. Like, in the same way I'm going back to Rolling Stones, it's, like, if someone was, like, Man, they got really bad in like '97, and it's like, dude, like, they can, they can just Michael McDonald can go do whatever the fuck he wants now, you know? It's mm-hmm. like it's like you spent like, could you imagine like you spend like 40 years actually being like, or let's say like 20 years being good at something, and then you kind of just have to keep living your life, and mm-hmm. it's not that you don't create good art, but eventually you're just kind of like not he's not 1982 michael mcdonald yeah you know it, but it's, i think maybe yeah. it's it, like in in terms of him sort of like being a punchline in sort of popular culture stuff it might just be a case of like he's obviously a relatively but a pretty well-known person and his voice is very distinct and kind of imitable do you know what i mean yeah. imitatable so like you know could be just a, a sense of like, oh, this guy's got a kind of unusual voice, bordering on funny sometimes. Yeah, and so it's yeah. like, well, we, you know, it's a, it's an easy shot to take yeah. the piss of the guy who's got a bit of a funny voice sometimes. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, a lot of this this kind of stuff that I've spoken about, like, I don't tend to share with other people because it falls into that realm of like cheese or like mm-hmm. guilty pleasure and stuff. And I can't be asked for someone to be like, oh, fucking turn that off, mate. It's shit. You know what I mean? So I just don't bother. But I really like it, so I just keep it to myself. 
And it's like, you know, I've tried to, I've, I've, it might not have been with this, but I've tried to get my mates to listen to Toto and Steely Dan a shitload of times and all of them tell me to fuck off. So, <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of just like, it's the connotation of just like, oh, you know, fucking old 80s bands or whatever. They're just like, they're all just cheesy, you know, hair metal, fucking cocaine riddled, crazy people that just make fucking pop tunes or something. And it's like, nah. They've got yeah. a lot of bangers, you know. There's a lot of good stuff in here, but people just kind of lump it all together and just go, that's just cheese, see you later, you know. Yeah, eventually these people, like, it's even like, it's like you think about, like, the out with the old, in with the new, and then, like, I don't know, at some period, like, ten years from this, it's like Alice in Chains. And it's like, you know, I saw Alice in Chains, like, kind of recently, and they were, like, really good in concert, but it's like, they have to keep putting out records. <laughs> you know and these guys I mean, that's where people 60s. that's where it goes isn't it yeah and that's like, where it goes that, that. it just it goes that way i can't think of like any that it's like the only hope you have to be these type of artists is like on your deathbed you get to be like a johnny cash that does like a rick rubin but how many mm-hmm. how many people like no one gets to really do that so you just keep kind of just showing yeah. up doing a little dance and you know singing on this person's song because it's like it's all showbiz you know well you know <laughs> like, like fucking there was that whole rumor that like uh, Prince had like a vault of like years and years and years worth of material that he wanted his family to release after he died, and no one's heard a peep of that. <laughs> Probably yeah. for good reason. You know what I mean? It's just like no, we're just going to keep his legacy as it is. We're not going to release anything to even remotely dilute that. But if you've got, if you want to try and continue to be a band from the, you know the seventies through to the twenty twenties. You might have a few things that don't work along the way, or it might get diluted as it goes. So that yeah. it kind of makes your entire career feel diluted, as opposed to like, nah, but these records are great. These ones might stink, but these ones yeah. are really Everyone good. Everyone has you know? their off years. Like when you've been doing yeah. something for 40 years, it's like you can't, everyone can't keep being a home run. But like if you stick around long enough, a lot of these people, you know, like we're saying with him, even if it's like a guest spot, it's like that was a big mm. guest spot. And it's like, these things ebb and flow, because like, I, you know, I personally think of it, it's like, I'm not even in a big band, it's like, I've been in a band for more, the same band for more than 10 years. And it's like, the hardest thing to do is sometimes just to keep doing it. You know, and like, a smarter person would say, I probably should have like, reinvented myself, or rebranded, but like, there's like a part in our, our band could be your life, where butthole surfers, and I, I think I've quoted this before on here, and they're like, the thing that worked for us was just to not stop. Like that's mm-hmm. like they're like that's the only reason anyone knows who we are because we just didn't stop. And that like sticks in my brain. Just like if you sort of feel possessed by a thing, just like keep going at it. If that possession like you know mm-hmm. is that way, like just to keep going at it is like the hardest thing you can do. Like especially as like a local band or someone that's done like some sort of touring, it's like hard to be creative in that way. But before I draw us away too far, once again, I wanted to bring us back to that idea of like this being like a drummer's record because I meant to get back there a few minutes ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So so with your band, Regal Cheer, I mean, you're the drummer. So when did you start drumming? Um, I started lessons when I was like 11, 12, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I only did them for sort of three or four years. The The drum teacher I had, I was in a lesson with uh, another friend of mine and he wanted to do the, the grades and stuff, um, you know, uh, like the kind of qualifications. Um, 
that you can get and I didn't want to do that at all because it sounded like homework and I was like this is supposed to be not school <laughs> you know um so I packed that in and then picked it up again when I was living in this uh I was living in a basement of a guy I worked with he had his parents owned this house in Brighton and we both worked at this uh a game shop, essentially like GameStop, but the okay. UK version. Yeah. We both worked there, and then I lived in the basement, and uh, he, I, I'd pay him my like basically my entire paycheck as my rent every month, and then I just kind of just was just sitting in this dark little basement every day, <laughs> um, just trying to find something to do. So I just started playing drums again, and it was like uh, there was two there was two tunes that got me back into playing. Um, it was. Uh, Chance the Rapper, I think it's called uh, No Problem. It's off the, his third record. It was like mm-hmm. that first single we put out of that one. And um, what's it called? January 10th, 2014 or something. It's the World is a Beautiful Place okay. song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of them is just like, the, the Chance the Rapper song was just like a cool groove. I was just like, this is just a, it's just catchy and it's consistent all the way through. And then the World is one just like, I reckon the drum track on that's great. I think the drummer who plays for them is amazing. So it kind of just like that got me into back into playing again because I was like, oh, you know, this is what I'm zoning in on again. It's the it's the drum parts of these tunes. It kind of it was always like that, but um, that was the time where I, I just simply remember being like, this is good, and I want to yeah. do this again. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then since then it was kind of. I, I've always, I always just pay attention to what the drummers are doing and when we go and see bands and stuff it's like I do just stare at the drummers all the time because I'm just trying to see what, what they're doing what I don't know just just take an influence from anything like that but um, yeah. and I just find it interesting to see how, how people play um, how people set stuff up and like if someone does something flashy just look around and see if anybody else noticed and it's like oh, <laughs> they just did something really fucking cool then and you missed it <laughs> Dude, does that lead you to watch like uh almost like drum cam videos or anything like that or i watch a little bit of that stuff but like i tend not to go too deep down into it because it does just uh destroy all my confidence that <laughs> okay. all the the, the yeah, little yeah, shred yeah. of confidence i do have in how i can play uh it does get rid of that when you watch a bunch of fucking you know metal drummers blasting out blast beats at like 400 bpm or something and you're just like <laughs> i'm just gonna quit now um but no I, I i think just from from paying attention to that kind of stuff it does kind of like it it pushes me into paying attention to that stuff with our tunes as well because there's only two of us it's like i can't afford to be really shit so I've got to be yeah, remotely yeah. good, you know what I mean? And uh, and I find it fun to kind of tie what I'm doing in with what my the guitarist Max is doing um, and just kind of linking stuff in together and, and finding those kind of spots where I can tie in what I'm doing with what he's doing and stuff like that. And I find that really interesting and it's, it's fun to kind of write in that sense um, just to kind of just make it so that we're both kind of speaking with each other and contributing towards the song and not, me showing off or anything like that or you know not not doing enough to let the side down or anything mm -hmm. like that does it make it this sounds like a basic question i feel like i'm i'll build it in a series of questions like does it (laughs) feel like it makes it more difficult being like i guess i'll ask the really uh 
basic question. Does it make it more <laughs> difficult playing as a two-piece? I don't think so. And, I, I actually yeah. really like it, yeah. Yeah, and because I, one thing I was noticing with like listening to like the new singles, and I always, always, always feel this way with uh, two-piece bands, and I think you're doing it right, so to your credit. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that I feel like a lot of times people feel like because they're a two-piece, they, like the other people, not you, um, they have to almost like strengthen what the guitar player is doing to fill in for like not having a basis. And mm-hmm. it kind of like makes it where I feel like they don't allow like the guitar to kind of stand on its own. Yeah. And so there's probably, it feels like there's like that. I think the interesting thing to do as a two piece is almost like you're having two conversations together mm-hmm. and like you're kind of building off of it, but you know that like, I can't I can't just stay directly where he is or it really starts telling the lanes of like what we don't have. But it's just mm-hmm. the same as like any other band. It's like I mean I do a lot on bass where there are a lot of times where I'm just like kind of trying to it, it kind of just depends on your, your what your dynamic is. I think that's like it's such an important thing to do in a two-piece band that you're just trying to let things kind of stand on their own like yeah exactly I, yeah because it's like you're like oh, i'm gonna make this so big you won't even think that we have a two-piece band because it's almost like one of those things where people when they're in like a three-piece band which i am like people that will write in a way that sort of like tells you they need a second guitar like don't mm-hmm. even like write your music telling people that you need it you know, I mean, it's yeah. a hard thing, and I don't know if I always land on it even as a three-piece band. So it's like it's like a thing. It sounds to me that it's like a thing you keep an eye on. Like when writing songs, mm-hmm. it's like how do we serve the song based on like the way that we've decided to do the band, you know, as Yeah, because, I mean, like we're very aware that there's only two of us. and um, But, I mean, for I think maybe for the first sort of year or so, um, we just didn't have a bass channel at all, um, but now we split the guitar signal between the bass, uh, like a bass amp and a and the guitar amp. So we can do we we do have options where we can cut the bass out or cut the guitar out and just have the bass, but it's still being played the same as you know Max is still playing it all yeah. um, on guitar, and it just beefs up everything and it sounds like there's more people on stage than there actually is. But when we come to sort of like yeah, when we're, when we're writing or like, especially when we were recording the album, we wanted to make sure that we weren't doing anything that we couldn't replicate live. We didn't want it to be like, oh, here's three guitar tracks when there's only one guitarist and, and that kind of stuff where, um, yeah, we just want it to be as authentic to what you're actually going to see if you come and see us as we can be really. But when it comes to writing, it is very much like, I you know, I'm a lover of a good riff as much as the next guy as well as you know there's a good drum part so if i can if i notice that max is playing something that i'm like oh that's nice then i'll kind of try and just play something that's just gonna kind of support underneath that and then i'll find my spots in in songs where i can kind of change up what i'm doing or you know do play something different so it's kind of like your focus is on him now your focus is on me and kind of almost playing tennis in that way of just kind of trying to find a way to balance it, but also just playing something that kind of works together. Yeah. It's not just us, both of us trying to show off because neither of us really like showing off. So it's like, we just want to make something that sounds cool. And if we're both positive on it, 
you know, it's the benefit of being a two-piece is if uh, if one of us doesn't like something, it, it goes straight in the bin, you know? it's as There's no, like, majority rules. It's like, if it's not passed by both of us, then it's not passed at all. So it's quite nice in that way. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes I'll come up with something and he's just like, what are you doing? Stop that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah yeah like going off on like your own like tangent you yeah know? that's when yeah. I, li- I watch too many like metal drummer videos and i think i'm a fucking metal drummer and i can't play it and he's like stop doing that <laughs> yeah yeah it is interesting to think and this is where i sound like an old guy on it um it's like when i watch like any of those kind of like drum videos or guitar videos and thing it's like i feel like there's so many videos where people are just kind of like finger tapping like you know mm-hmm. and it's like it's like, do we even remember, like, what... I, I think this ends up being, like, an interesting thing, like a... I guess, like, a... Almost like a conversation with, like, almost, like, culture as a whole. It's like mm-hmm. we've gone so far off, like, the edges, you know, and it's like, when I think, of like, finger tapping, it's like, when is, when is like, culture going to get back to a part of, like, true sincerity? And if true sh- sincerity in this point is just, like someone's drumming their guitar or actually like playing the beat you know mm-hmm. it's like everybody's like showing you how good they are like a movie yeah. feel the same way it's like there's like cgi and all the stuff and it's like man i would like kill for just like like that movie that i said i made up in my mind of ted dancing being divorced you know it's mm-hmm. like i just want you know sometimes it's like so things are so like it's like this thing but then the guy like he doesn't sure he's got a meta reality thing and i'm like I'm I'm on board with it for the most part, but sometimes you just want something that feeds you the strongest thing down the middle. So I think yeah. even like where it goes to your band, it's like, you know, knowing those moments to kind of like come back together, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I yeah. think with like, when I'm thinking about like Michael McDonald, it's like those moments where it's like just driving something home, like the most sincere you can because it's like what the heart, once i know that makes it sound like so <laughs> yeah, much deeper yeah. just that kind of thing where i'm like you know i've been ironic my whole life it's like like i don't know can we just like just get actually just go back like sometimes i when i think about like james bond movies and i'm like can we just like can something like go back to campy again like just go yeah. go to the middle you know like yeah. you know i don't know everyone's I know trying be, too hard <laughs> that's like, what i'm saying because i it's like i don't want to be too hard to as, be crazy yeah, yeah. Because I feel like it's like, like I'm catching myself and I feel like it's like it, I don't want someone to think it's like a allegory for like political stuff or like how we should be like, I don't know, be as weird as you want to be like socially and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But like in a sense, like, you know, telling someone you love them or like all that stuff. It's like, can we stop the post irony thing? I'm personally tired of it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but you were, you, were, you were saying something. Yeah. No, I guess it, it's it, it it's a. Uh there's a big scope for people being able to show off now. I mean, with things like with the internet and shit, you know, you can just fucking, if you can finger tap and play some absolutely shredding stuff and you can just film it on your phone and post it online and people can be like, Oh, you're so good at guitar or whatever. It's yeah. like, yeah, you can do that. But, and that, that's some people's livelihoods, of course. Yeah. But sometimes things, you know, they, they can lose their charm if they're too, too far in the, in one direction. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I it makes me, I think it, I think about TV shows quite a bit, like in this regard of like things like Always Sunny and like Trailer Park Boys. I used to watch those loads when I was at uni, and then they obviously got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the budgets got bigger. So then they got like better cameras and and bigger sets, or like you know more budget to mm-hmm. do yeah. to do crazy stuff. 
And it's like, but I liked it when it kind of looked a bit like shit. And you were just a bunch of people in, like, one room. You know what I mean? Like, I think I was listening to the Always Sunny podcast, and they were saying about, like, how one season they got a new set of cameras, and then they just went back to the old cameras the next season because they didn't like that it didn't look as shit as the previous season. And it's like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's got a level of charm to it where it's like, do you know what I mean? But, um, and you can, you know, the same goes with music. When, you know, you hear so much stuff that's like, overproduced or yeah, whatever like on the grid like, i feel like it's like a phrase i bring mm-hmm. up like every episode you know and because it's yeah it's so hard it's like it's like we want things to be gridded out but like i think like for example so, so because of the work i do i get like free comic books like every week mm-hmm. and like cool. so i was getting like it was like a new Basically, Marvel Comics does this thing. I love that I brought this up. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> but um, it feels like it almost just looked like AI art because mm-hmm. things I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I can't tell you that nothing's like there's no arm that's too long or something, you know, but like yeah. every imperfection, everything that that told you told your eye that someone drew this has been sucked out of it. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it becomes an uncanny valley, but I'm like, I'm not looking at CGI. I'm looking at a picture on a paper mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't know. Money has told money told them that that's what people want. And I'm not saying people don't want this, but it's mm-hmm. like when I look at it and when I look at these things, I'm like, I do want to feel like a human did this, whatever that yeah. is. And it feels like, almost like yeah. charmless. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it's like the most slicked up movie. It's the most slicked up TV show that, you know, you went to it because it wasn't, you know. And it's fun- it feels like it's funny that we're talking about it alongside a Michael McDonald thing because I think the context, the pretext that people give me about Steely Dan is that it sucked all the humanity out, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's like when I feel like I've seen critiques about. But... And I don't know, I haven't listened to like their 1990 album or whatever one it was, mm-hmm. like one of the last ones they did. Um, but it's like there is there is still so much like humanity and character in this specific album mm-hmm. that like... Because there's a difference yeah. between like, there's a difference between being meticulous about something that you're creating and going kind of off the deep end with trying to make sure that everything is perfect, you know? Yeah. There's that. There's a, a there's a level of disparity between those two things of like you can be like no I want this to sound like this and I need to sing it this way or whatever, on you know, but then you can go too far where you're like everything needs you know an extra coat of polish and we need it to be you know ready for this streaming service or you know it needs to be good enough to go into whatever, um, so you can kind of overthink things yeah and I think like yeah Steely Dan just just go in between those two points yeah. quite it treads yeah. that line pretty finely where it's like you could have gone like a few too many layers on this and it would have sounded a lot shitter than it does yeah but it's funny I you were mentioning it's... tv uh, but there was like i've noticed a lot even on like netflix it's like i'm watching a tv show and because of how clear everything is i can see people's makeup and this isn't mm-hmm. this isn't them showing like older TV shows, and I I I get that that lighting is going to bring out certain things with like all of those things, but I'm like this is a new TV show, like why mm-hmm. does everyone look orange? You know, it's like we went <laughs> yeah. so we went to so far into perfecting things, 
that you're not able to hide anything anymore. Yeah, and the imperfections are now like glaringly obvious. Yeah, so it's like you didn't even do the thing that you were trying to accomplish doing, like yeah. even, you know, so it's like you can't, like perfection to a certain way, yeah, starts leaning the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I know I've kept you for so long, and it, and what I did want to kind of mention, so kind of bridge it together, do you feel like when you are approaching, like, songwriting now, does this album come up in your mind? I think so. I think, like, um, I mean, so the album that we've got coming out uh, on the 3rd, um, we recorded that last year in January, so just over a year ago. Um, and we've been working on those songs kind of since we finished the previous kind of sort of EPs. Uh, we had a bunch of them written and we kind of played them live and stuff to kind of figure them out and stuff. Um, so those were all kind of like, they were almost done for quite a long time before we went and recorded them. But now we're, we're starting to think about like the next lot of songs and, and we've been writing a lot of new stuff recently and we're kind of like just thinking about it a little more meticulously than we did previously of just being like okay well we liked kind of the this kind of chunk of this kind of this song so we'd like to try and do something along those lines again um not you know just tread the same places we've been before but just kind of um just look at what we're doing under a little bit more of a magnifying glass just to kind of make sure that we are hitting all the little nuances that we can and and uh and kind of pay a little bit more attention do you know what i mean because i feel like yeah with records like this it's like they've paid attention to every element that's gone into that and like you know there's not a, a beat out of place nothing's played wrong or anything like that but it's it's you know, in terms of like the layers and things like that, you know, we've got that restriction of only having two people. And we don't want it to be like, we don't want to miss sell what we are, but we can still kind of look under the microscope a bit more and what we're writing in the future and, and, and make sure that it's, it's kind of to the best of our ability. Cause I think, um, we've just got better at writing songs in the last sort of, or since we started, it's just, we feel like we're getting better at it. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, listen to records like this and like, yeah, like Steely Dan and stuff like that. It does make me want to go like, okay, well I'm just going to really, really pay attention to what I'm doing. Um, and make sure that I'm doing it in the best way possible. And I think, uh, yeah. And that rubs off on Max as well. I think it's just like, we just want it to sound as good as possible and make sure that we're, we're really like doing ourselves justice, you know? Welcome back. Thanks again to Harry for coming on the pod. It was great touching base and really just digging into an album that honestly I didn't expect to like as much as I did, but I really did. Once again, check out the new Regal Cheer album, pick it up on vinyl, and go see the band live if you live in the UK. Okay, next time we're talking about Blue Broderick of the band Diners. We talked about Paul and Linda McCartney's album Ram, so more on that next week. Once again, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Pod. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and reviews always help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. 
Okay, see you next week. <laughs>